Well, this week we come to Genesis chapter 42. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis 42. Last week we saw in chapter 41 how Joseph has been promoted to, I guess what you would call the second highest position in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. But uh, Pharaoh had really just stepped aside and given a lot of authority to Joseph uh, in this situation. So the reason Pharaoh saw fit, however, to do this was because he had seen the wisdom of Joseph in action. And Pharaoh also stated that he saw the Spirit of God in Joseph. Uh, Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret for him except for Joseph. And we saw in chapter 41 where the interpretation of that dream had begun to take place just as Joseph said it would. There were seven years of plenty in all the land, and Joseph's instructions to Pharaoh were that they should store up during those times of plenty because the interpretation of the dream also indicated that there would be seven lean years or seven years of famine. And we saw that last week as we were studying chapter 41. And as we begin chapter 42, the lean years have begun. The, the years of famine were now upon them. And this famine had had its effect not only in Egypt, but in all the surrounding countries as well. And we will see in verse 1 that Joseph's father, Jacob, will come back into the picture for us here. But let's, guess, let's go ahead and, and read verse 1. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Now, it's hard for me to move too quickly past verse 1 here because there's really a lot that we can learn from what we see right there in verse 1. Because Jacob is asking his boys here, Why are you just sitting around doing nothing? These are desperate times. It's time to get up and do something. His boys are sitting around in a, a time of famine like bumps on a log, right? You know, there's a very old saying that states that youth is wasted on the young, right? And it's amazing how young folks, especially these days, just sit around wasting all the energy, energy that they have in their youth, not accomplishing much of anything, especially for the kingdom of God. And when they get older, they will have regrets for what they didn't do when they were young, right? Now, I can't sit here and point fingers at the young folks on this issue. Honestly, all I can do is lump myself right in with this group of people that wasted their youth. But if a young person today would just take a, a stab at gaining some wisdom from the older folks... They if they take heed to the fact that in your youth, it's, it's time when all that energy that you have can be used to accomplish things in the world around you. And again, like I said, especially in the kingdom of God. Now, of course, I'm going to direct these statements toward the young men and, and young women that profess to be born-again followers of Jesus Christ. And for them, the wisest thing a young man or a young woman can do 
is to remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. And what I just read to you, what I just quoted to you from, is Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It says, remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. That tells us that those days come for all of us, right? In other words, it's not that we sit around being miserable when we're older. It's just that we lose a, a lot of energy. And, and the, the Word of God instructs us to remember our Creator during our youth. And our youth today, as always, need to be exhorted to remember their Creator. How many professing Christian families today are losing their youth to the philosophies of this world? Like lambs to the slaughter, teenagers are being drawn away from the body of Christ today. But a big part of that blame is on the parents and on the church, I believe, because we do not prod our youth to actually get up and do do something. Stop sitting around in this fashion and to actually punish them if they don't, and to make them have some consequences consequences for their laziness and for their procrastination. And I think the body of Christ has failed in this, and many parents fail in this. Proverbs 10.4 says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor. If a young person has no structure, no discipline in their life, they'll just waste away their time sitting around with their faces today in video games, spending hours upon hours in social media, accomplishing absolutely nothing of value, not learning any values, not learning any morals, not learning any things like work ethic and the virtues of life, you know. Atrophy begins to set in and then they just decay. Their minds become weaker and weaker along with their hands. And the world all around us will economically and, more importantly, morally decay. And we're seeing the results of all of that today. You see, the body of Christ is a group of people that are called to walk by faith, not sit around and be entertained by faith. See, the family of Israel, also known as Jacob here, was living during this time of famine. And he tells his boys that they need to get up. And they need to do something. And today I believe that the church is in a spiritual famine. And as a result, our nation is as well. And if our youth aren't taught to get up and do something, well then we will have no future as a nation. And we'll see the body of Christ begin to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle as a result, right? And if our youth aren't aren't taught, like I said, to, to do it, they actually have to be taught. It has to actually be passed on to them, right? For too long, we have allowed our youth just to sit around and be entertained, hoping that that alone will keep them around the body of Christ, keep them interested in the things of God. So we've brought the entertainment into the church, but it's not working. And it's time to sternly, through the word of God, rebuke them, rebuke the youth, as Jacob does here, and says, get up, do something, start walking, walking by faith and actually being a part of the body of Christ. Otherwise, we're going to starve to death and to die a slow and painful death 
and immorality will rule and reign in all the land, and it already is. Look at what's happening in our nation. Look at the laws that are being passed because the church has sat idly by and we haven't trained up our children in the way that they should go. And when it comes to a young person's life, it's the dad's role first and foremost to step up and to say something as we see Jacob doing here in verse 1. Too many dads aren't in the picture at all today. And many of the ones that are just want to be cool dad. They just want to look cool with their kids, right? Being involved in the life of youth for several years, I've seen many dads coddle their children trying to keep them entertained in Christianity, hoping that this keeps them around Christianity and keeps them involved in it, taking them to Christian concerts and trying to act as if they're the same age as the child rather than being a leader and speaking to them in an exhortational way, right? Prodding them to get up and have their own faith in the Lord. Get up and contribute to society. Get up and contribute to the body of Christ. How many needs in the body of Christ could be satisfied if our youth weren't wasting hours on video games and social media? How many widows could get their lawns cut? How many different things could be done in the body of Christ if we would just train up our kids to do these things, right? Which we see from the scripture. So again, all of that I get out of verse one of Jacob just saying, come on, get up, boys. You know, do something. And verse 2, and he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. So go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. So Jacob is a little cautious here with his youngest son, Benjamin. He's already lost one son whom he trusted in the care of his elder boys, Joseph, right? He's probably not real sure as to whether any of them will come back alive, and he at least wants one son around him to help him and to carry on the name. And verse 5 says, And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land and it was he who sold to all the people of the land and Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. So here we see the fulfillment of a dream. If you remember back when we studied chapter 37, Joseph had a couple of dreams in which First, his brothers were bowing down before him, and so also was his father and his mother. His brothers hated him for the dream. His father rebuked him, but his father at least took it to heart. His brothers, on the other hand, just had continued to hate him more and more, and eventually threw Joseph in a pit and sold him into slavery. But now we see that the dream has come true. Here his brothers are actually bowing down before him. And as you, and you know, as I, as I think back on uh, the behavior of Joseph's brothers in regards to this dream, 
it's real easy to see how pride can destroy the work of God in the life of an individual. Sometimes things can happen in our lives that we don't like for one reason or another. Like Joseph's brothers not liking what he's telling them about that, that dream and all that, right? This person or that person says this or that, and, and our jobs rub us the wrong way. Circumstances begin to change for us, and we don't like it, and our pride wells up. And that's what Joseph's brothers were doing. They were hating Joseph. They just wanted to spite him and to get rid of him. But all along, though, it was God's will being worked out in Joseph's life. God was in the details. And for you and me, as various uh, circumstances continue to, to arise throughout our, life, our lifetimes, the wisest thing for us to do is take time to think about how maybe God is working out the details of our lives through each and every circumstance, everything that we go through, right? I know it didn't turn out this way, but let's just hypothetically suppose that the brothers of Joseph would have just taken time to seek the Lord when Joseph had told them his dream. Instead of getting proud and spiteful and saying, we don't want him around, who are you, right? Let's just suppose, again, not changing the word of God. I'm just saying, let's just think about this in a hypothetical way. Let's suppose they would have just said, Lord God, why is our brother acting in such a manner? It was just suppose they would have sought God. Should we be hating him, God, or should we be respecting him? Are you working out something here in Joseph's life, Lord, or are you doing something for all of our benefit by giving Joseph this dream, Lord? They could have done that. They could have sought the Lord. And you see, the reason I bring this hypo, hypothetical situation up is because the outcome indeed was that God was working in the life of Joseph. And he was working something not only for Joseph's betterment, but for the betterment of the whole family and also for the betterment of the people of all of the earth. So I believe that we ought to look for, to God in all of the circumstances of our lives whether we consider them to be good circumstances or bad circumstances, we need to look to God because God is able to work out good in any and in every circumstance of our lives. So if we would just train ourselves and discipline ourselves to seek God in all things, I believe that we'll be far better off. That's what He wants us to do. He wants us to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. Joseph's brothers don't even know it yet, but the little brother that they hated is now going to be their Savior in the physical sense. Okay, so don't misinterpret how I use the word Savior there. But I'm just saying He's going to save them from this famine. He's going to spare them in that physical sense. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he act, acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. So pause right there because this is the point at which Joseph remembered the dreams himself that he had 
back in chapter 37. So let's go ahead this time and let's turn back to chapter 37. And let's revisit those dreams that Joseph had that we studied back several, we studied about several weeks back. Down in verse 5 of Genesis 37. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So you see, though, the answer to the question his brothers asked is, yes, Joseph would indeed reign over them. The answer was yes. But back now in Genesis 42, verse 9, these dreams that he had about his brothers came back to Joseph's mind. But Joseph wasn't, doesn't want to let on yet that he knows this is his brothers before him. You see, he recognizes them but they don't recognize him because he has gone through a total transformation being amongst an entirely different culture for many years now. His brothers look the same to him, but Joseph looks very different than he used to. We're also going to see that he's speaking a different language to them. We'll get there. But Joseph keeps on acting the part here. And verse 9 there continues and says that Joseph said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So in other words, uh, Joseph is saying that they want to see just how weak they are so that they could attack them, right? Verse 10, And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. So they're saying, we're being honest with you. We're telling you the truth. This is who we are. Verse 12, but he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today and one is no more. So it's kind of interesting there, huh? In a roundabout way, these brothers of Jacob admit that they got rid of one of their brothers. They say at the end of verse 13 there that one is no more. They have no clue as to whether their brother is dead or alive, but in reality, he is standing right in front of them. And you know, I can't help but think again about Jesus in this instance. The world crucified him. And to the world, he is dead, but in reality, he is alive. And he is standing right in front of every human being with the opportunity for them to make him their savior. All right, let me take you to some scriptures now found in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 10. So go ahead and mark this page and let's turn to Romans chapter 10.
Romans chapter 10. And let's look down and start reading in verse 6. It says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved so the brothers of Joseph were standing before Joseph Joseph was the one before whom they had now bowed he would save their physical bodies from starvation. And today, all the world has one Savior and one Savior only. And there is no other name that a person can call upon for the salvation of their souls. Back in Genesis 42, don't turn there just yet. Stay where you are. But back there, we saw where the brothers of Joseph thought that he was no more. They said, one is no more. Joseph is no more. They really didn't know if he was dead or alive. They just knew that he wasn't involved in their lives anymore. They weren't around him anymore. And today, the world at large does not know whether Jesus is really alive or dead. Right? So it needs to be made known to them that Jesus, the Savior, is alive. Right? The one to whom they may think is no more. They may think, well, Jesus is no more. He's just part of some religion, right? But verse 14 here in Romans 10 continues and says, Well, how, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You see, the preaching of the gospel is how people come to know about the Savior, that He's alive and that He is their Savior. The one that preaches the gospel has beautiful feet as described here because their feet take the most important information that the world has ever known to the ears of every person that needs salvation. So you either are then a preacher of the gospel or you are someone that sends a preacher of the gospel. One that helps the preacher do what the preacher steps up to do and is called to do. You see, a preacher of the gospel is simply someone that reaches out to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we all can do that. It's someone that lets them know that Jesus is alive and well. They teach the word of God and they reach out to, the, to people in the name of Jesus. And 
I believe that, like I said, that each one of us can do this to a certain extent. And if you find that you don't do that, well, at least you can point them to someone that does. Point them to the Savior. Take them to the Word of God. You know, I've told you before, I believe there's still room in this house. If you want to invite people here, you can point them to the teachings of the Word of God here or on the internet or by some other way, some other church, some other ministry. But, but people need to know that Jesus, who they may think is no more, is alive and is well and wants to be their Savior and come in to their hearts. Right? Again, the brothers of Joseph thought that Joseph was no more, but he was right there, and he was their physical Savior. And many people today think Jesus is no more, but in reality, he's the only one that can save their souls. But it takes the preaching of the gospel. It takes the, the, the putting forth of the word of God to reach out to people that they may come to know him themselves. And flipping back now to Genesis 42. In verse 14, it says, But Joseph said to them, It is as I speak to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother's brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. So this is Joseph's way just to make sure that well partially it could be that the dream still needed to be completely fulfilled. Not all the brothers have bowed down to him yet, right? And the dream was that they all would. So he wanted them to go and get Benjamin. All right? We'll see that, and we'll see that as the story continues here. Verse 17. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. So they're remembering back what they did to Joseph now, right? And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So this is why I said he had adapted to that culture and he was speaking a different language. But that's an important piece of information right there. He had, all this time he's been talking, talking to them through an interpreter, right? He wasn't speaking Hebrew to them. They therefore thought he didn't understand them when they spoke to each other. But he understood what they were saying, right? And they were speaking to each other and reasoning with each other because of what they did 
to their brother Joseph and they're saying, this is why we're in this situation. But all along, Joseph understands them. And this is a hard time for Joseph to see his brothers again in this way and to know God is fulfilling all the dream that was promised to him. And verse 24 continues and says, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? So pause right there, because here these men, they already have guilty conscience, right? For what they did to their brother Joseph. They're being accused of being spies in the land of Egypt, and now they worry that they may be considered as thieves as well. And they cry out in their calamity here, what is God doing to us? And this is how many people today react during a time of calamity, a time of trouble. People that could any other day care less about God or what He's doing. They will cry out though in times of trouble, wondering, what is God doing to me? Why has God done this? Why is it this way, when in reality, it's their own choices that have brought them to their current circumstances. The fact of the matter is, is that God is, through Joseph, was doing something good for them and supplying their needs. In reality, that's what God was doing. Today, in Jesus Christ, God desires to do good in the lives of people, but people want to ignore coming to Jesus Christ because it means they have to turn from their unrighteous way of living. But in times of calamity, though, these same people will blame God as if it's Him that means them evil when, again, it's their own choices that have brought them to this place in life. And the story continues in verse 29. Then they went to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant you your your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his, his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, 
they were all afraid. So the last time just one of them had opened his sack and saw it. Now they're back in the presence of their father. They realize, wow, we've all got our money back. Not just one of them, but they all have it. And now they're even more bewildered and more afraid. In verse 36, And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All things are against me. Now, this reminded me of Genesis chapter 34. If you remember, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, had sexual relations with Shechem. And Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, went and killed a bunch of the men in the city for what had happened. Jacob's response was a very selfish response during that time. He was ashamed only because they made him look bad. And here in verse 36, he cries out, all these things are against me. And I guess you can't be too hard on Jacob here. He, ha- he now has two sons missing. One is presumed dead, and the other one is now in prison in Egypt. But these knucklehead boys of him, to him, can't seem to do anything right. You know, what are you doing to me? Look what's happening. So this is now a very tense situation here between Jacob and his sons. And verse 37, Then Reuben spoke to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. So Reuben is stepping up. He's the eldest son. And he's making a promise to his father that there is nothing that will hinder him from bringing Simeon back to Jacob alive. Reuben is the one, remember, that wanted to take care of Joseph as well. He let his brothers put Joseph in the pit, but it wasn't his intention to leave him there. If you remember, Reuben wanted to come back and get him out, right? And again, this tense conversation continues, and Jacob says to Reuben, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So again, just very intense, right, situation here. And we'll continue the story next week. But one quick important note here before I wrap it up this morning. Keep in mind that Benjamin, the youngest brother, that Joseph wanted them to go home and to get, that's Joseph's full brother. Joseph and Benjamin were born to the same mom. Rachel only had two children with Jacob, Joseph and Benjamin. And and this is important to Joseph that he sees Benjamin and that he knows Benjamin is alive. Next week in chapter 43, we'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about, how all of that comes into play. But in closing, let me just exhort you all again this morning with what we've talked about. And that is be active in the body of Christ. Don't just sit around doing nothing. Don't let the famine, the spiritual famine, take over this land. You can influence it. Each one of us, young or old, we can influence it by speaking 
to people about the Savior, speaking to people about Jesus. Not about a church, not about a building, not about a religion, not about coming to a denomination or to a non-denomination for that matter, but just about Jesus and what Jesus, the Savior, has done in your life or is doing in your life and point people to Him again. Bring them to the place where they have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Because again, there is spiritual famine in this land. And they need to know that the Savior is alive and well. And they can't know this unless they hear the gospel. So determine to do your part in the body of Christ, right? God has placed people in the body of Christ. Yes, there are evangelists and pastors and teachers and such, but all of us can get up and do something during this spiritual famine. And again, remember, all of our Sunday morning teachings are available on our website at www.aloveoutreach.com also available on SoundCloud soundcloud.com backslash a love outreach and I will gladly be the one that is sent. So if you're not a preacher then be a supporter of the one that is. Because again the most important thing for all of this world to know is that their Savior Jesus is alive and is waiting to meet them. Just like Joseph, their physical savior during the time of this famine, was alive and well, and he was waiting to meet his brother Benjamin. So we all have a role in the body of Christ. And again, we we just need to get up and do something. And the way we get up and do something is very simplistic. We walk by faith and not by sight. Don't worry about what the rest of the world's saying about Christianity. Bring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, to a world that is in a spiritual famine. Don't worry about being ridiculed. Don't worry about what might happen to you or what others might think of you. Who do you serve? Who is your master? Who do you bow down before? It's Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. We'll stop here for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who just continues to to poke and prod at us through the truth of your word. Lord, there are things that, that for us to do, we should be active members of the body of Christ. As I've often said, more importantly, Lord, as your word says, we are to be doers of the word doers of the work, right? Not just forgetful hearers. Lord, that we would just not sit around and let the famine take over, the spiritual famine. Lord, you are the only answer for the souls of men and women. There is no hope without you. There is no future. There is no eternity without you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, man has made up so many different ways and have built so many different paths, Lord, and denominations and churches and such. But it comes down to one simple thing, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. 
We need you, Jesus. And God, I pray that we all will just continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you. Understanding that you, your will is a good will for our lives. Your ways are perfect. We just pray your will to be done in the coming week in our hearts and in our minds, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.